Hello and welcome to the first episode of Expert by Experience Network podcast. We are a campaign group supported by Refugee Action and represented by people with lived experience in the UK immigration system. We are here to share stories about our lives and experience. Well, guys, I think, um, welcome everyone. Uh, it's a refugee week and we're doing here a lovely podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an asylum seeker from the Southern Caribbean. Uh, I came here to the UK in 2014 and uh, my asylum case is still pending. Uh, I think we're here to celebrate uh, refugees in all genres and prospects and the issues that we go through that few the public knows of. And one thing I think we all agree with is about the employability prospects of refugees as ourselves and our mental health factor going through and after claiming asylum. Because it's not only going through the claim, it's after the claim. When you get your status, uh, there are the mental aspects that we're dealing with. So uh, let's introduce ourselves at the table, if you don't mind. I'm going to start. My name is Alicia. I'm a refugee from El Salvador. I came here in 2018. And after uh, some years in the process, we got our status, me and my partner. My story started there, basically, in after I got my status. I was so happy to get my status and um, excited to get a job. So I, ha- I started to apply to so different companies and I was rejected from every one of them. I was sending like about five CVs every day for three or four months. So I was so disappointed. I was crying every night because I couldn't get a a job. I finally, I always had this dream because my mom, she had a business. So I kind of wanted to be like her and I also dreamed to have my own business. I had this idea and I finally got to open my business. It's a cleaning company and it's recently I started in November of last year and then I started to look for clients two months ago. So until now I've had some clients, one of bookings, but I'm still seeking for opportunities as a refugee and as well, I as I was rejected from the past jobs because I was either refugee or I didn't have the experience. But anyway, I was really excited because uh, during the pandemic, I learned so many things. I started to learn how to trade stocks. I learned some about crypto and as well, I learned digital marketing that now I'm happy that I'm, I'm applying all those skills in my business. Wow, I like the fact that you learn crypto. I can't understand the thing for me. Digital <laughs> awareness is so, um, but it is the world now, especially. I think um, from, uh, I love the fact in hearing um, that you have that gap period where you had the factor, the unknown factor after getting your status and you were so excited 
that it's a new brave world for you and that you in giving all your CVs and the positivity and you know you the experience you've had it was still hard to you know to get over that hurdle but you didn't you you bogged down and I know it was hard and it was quite you know the anxiety and quite depressing sometimes but the bonus is that you know you knew you had your partner there and you have a never say die attitude so I quite love that I think when I came the reason I came to Britain because of being openly gay at a young age in my country and coming out to my parents I had the benefit of having the fundamentals and the foundations from them though that those are my rocks so it was not an easy decision to leave I think no none of us wants to leave what you know best even the good or the bad of your country it's like good and bad of your family you have black sheep in your family and you deal with them <laughs> yeah. same set of your country's just the fact in dealing where there are laws obstructing you from being yourself and then their policies that are mandating more of you and then add to that violence and add to that it will be more it's taking where you from working where people have control over where you work via religion or your sex that's when a decision has to be made what's best for you or sometimes the decision is taken out of your your hands i i think with the the issue here in coming to the uk the asylum system in the 8 years i've been here has changed so drastically in not positive when it, when i arrived here in 2014 it was an open borders factor where you had anyone arrive and you got vetted in a standard where questions were asked whether you're gay straight such the question had empathy now it's so hostile against you it's why are you here yeah you're met with such that i think for me it's a dehumanizing and a distance of being human and saying oh well i see alicia then she's so love so let me take my time with it it's the the voice tone the way they're not looking at you they're looking down at the paper when they when they look at you i feel like they're looking through me i don't know how do you feel alicia on the factors in the progress in the bit ups and downs that you went through with your claim i think what was the most important bits of you keeping your sanity and keeping healthy and positive how was that on your mental health on going through the process and after so that was horrible honestly because during the process i just wanted to to add a comment about what you said before you need to have someone to be your rock um my rock is my partner now is my fiance by the way mm-hmm. um so without him basically i don't think i would have be able to cope with the situation because um i'm a person that is gets stressed very easily and very emotional so yeah it was very difficult for me even having someone to be there for me So I can imagine someone who's alone. Um, I don't know if you are alone in. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, uh, one thing is I did not want. I'm, I love the fact that you have had someone to go through this with you, and the fact this is not something you need. Whether whatever the relationship is, friendship or having a partner, you need a human factor in going through something like this because you're in a foreign country. where you're especially if you're learning a new language that you've never spoken before and you're meeting new cultures and it's a whole different spectrum and I think as I'm older I'm, 50, I'm in my 50s I'm 53 so 
for me, I have, I'm very comfortable in my skin. But in saying that, though, I focused on the fact I wanted to deal with the asylum process before I can get into the human process of getting to know people. And I think what I, that was a big error on my part because I cut off myself from enjoying the best things about this country and people. Any, everywhere has its bad and good. But once I started to detach that from, I started treating it more professional and cutting off the personal. Now I've in, integrated them both where I'm enjoying the work and doing my voluntary work, doing my writing as a columnist, you know, and, you know, teaching because as a social care consultant, that's my job I did back home. So now I'm in doing more programs and training courses for, you know, social care and mental health. And I want to go into that and see how can I assist my fellow refugee and asylum seeker in making them feel inclusive when they arrive here. I always say the job of the migrant is not to show how different we are from the natives, it's how similar we are because we're human. I think let's let's talk to your partner, Eduardo. Tell us about yourself. Hi, uh, we came here like without having the idea how difficult the journey would be being on a Asylum seeker was an easy at that time. I'm sure it wasn't before, and it's it will never have been in this country. Because I think like one of the most important things that this society has forgotten about asylum seekers is that we need dignity in our lives. We don't get that from the government, and that's the same speech that they go around and tell to anyone. So people will believe that that's true, whatever they come to the in front of the TV and say. So I think that's really important and. Our society is, is forgetting this point. I'm currently working in a local authority mm. and I have seen how difficult it is to get into a job. With this job not being what, what I really want to be like for my whole life, but I'm already facing like challenges from, from the very first time when I got the status. Mm. Everything was so difficult, showing my CV, my past experience, going to interviews and seeing their faces whenever they ask for the gap on my CV and I start explaining what it was. Because to be honest, at the beginning, I wasn't afraid of telling I'm a refugee. Mm. But after quite a few experiences, when I tell from the beginning I'm a refugee, I see the faces changing. So I start thinking, well, I shouldn't show that from the very beginning because people wouldn't understand how things are for asylum seekers. Then I decided to explain or tell how it was first and things I love to do and my experience and so on so people can understand my path and they maybe they can empathize and they can start believing that I can do the things that I'm able to do. So it was difficult. As I said, I started working in the street food market, just going into the difficult weather because we didn't have like something to eat so we need to any one of us had to find a job first something to do and that's how we manage together to be like this beginning with that uh, just doing a street food market then i keep applying and looking for jobs as i said in local authorities it's difficult to see how uh, refugees come to the to the place looking for help and you feel like you empathize with them but you're still see barriers that you can't overcome for them because you still need to follow some procedures and sometimes you see that those procedures are not open harms for them so that's really difficult and i think we need to uh, let the people know that we are all humans 
And we all deserve to uh, be treated with dignity at the end of that day. We all share the same world where we walk in every day. So I think it's really important to to treat each each of us as we would love to be treated. I, I love the fact um, in listening to you, the R word is refugee. It's like, it's a part of you. It's so dehumanizing the word and now desensitizing it in that it's like saying, you're, you're, because you're South American, I can't say that because, or because I'm black or because I'm Hispanic or because I'm Latino, you can't say that. The, ref, the word refugee now has been, you know, politicized in such a way now as a dirty word when you say it out loud, you know, as, well, I'm a refugee and the whole body language of that person changes. And you're right. I think the, the thing that bothers me the most is during and after when you go through claiming asylum and, and if you're successful in getting it, is the barriers that are still there. Because you have barriers even before you get statism here in the UK. But the barriers that are after, they are still there and they, are, they continue for a long while until you find your own footing and place in it. I think um, one thing I will ask you, Eduardo, during your um, claim, did you see people that represented what do you think in the Home Office? You know, I viewed in my claim when I saw that the fact that I was dealing with people that didn't understand LGBTQ rights or such, I did not meet people in, with that empathy or had or were a vision of where I'm from, because this is a multicultural you know, society. Did you see any of that or view that in your interviews? I think it's, it's funny though, because I remember like they, whenever they ask you where you're coming from, they don't know where our country is. So people just, just start thinking, if you tell them I'm from from America, they don't understand. They, they think, you know, in the United States, then why, why are you here? Why are you claiming asylum if you are from America? Or sometimes they ask you, like, because they always put you on the spot saying, I mean, they think that, that you are like economic migrant all the time. So they always claim in, on that or, or things. They ask you things like, what's your currency? And you tell them dollars. So they think that you're making millions and you are an economic migrant. When you are not an economic migrant, you explain that your situation and they don't understand because they always, they have the belief and the misconception that you are here to take on their jobs. And that's not true. You are here because you are going through horrible situation, war or like criminality that that's haunting you. So that's why you come to this country just to seek refuge. And they don't understand maybe because they haven't been into, into that. They haven't walked that those roads. Maybe that's why they think that way. So it's really horrible at the end of the day to have come to tell them the truth and they just uh, shut the door and they just say that that's not true. How come they they can tell you that this is not true when, when you are the one on that situation? I think it's, it, it's so hard um, on a mental factor to be told that you're not wanted and especially when you're, you've gone through so many hoops and you've jumped and passed through so many countries sleeping on in front of garages, shops, stores, in camps, making makeshift camps, wherever you can, uh, just to get here to start a new life in that. And the, the mental factor, I, I think the Home Office has not even really, although they they have departments and they have structures, they've not expanded that to see the after effects and the trauma that asylum seekers and refugees go through in the process of claiming asylum and after it. Um, what do you think on, um, on the factors of coming here and arriving? Because there's a lot you did to get here. 
And how has been the process for you, um, especially looking at having no right to work and then dealing with the, the waiting factor? Because it's hard on your, on your mind and your mental health. Hi, everyone. I am from Syria. Uh, also, I am asylum seeker and still in the process, unfortunately. Actually, the situation is this. When you claim asylum, what I feel you are presenting yourself in UK. You know, they deal with you as a prisoner, but in a big community, not in a prison. Uh, you are not allowed to work. You are not allowed to drive. You are not allowed to open even a bank account. It is very difficult for you to live without work because they keep you and enforce you to live in poverty. You and I have my two sons with me and my wife. They give you around five pounds daily, which is not enough for food. So you have to go for charity to bring food. Or I have many trips for my kids in school. I have to avoid and tell them, no, this is not necessary. I will take you another trip. I will arrange something else. You know, I have recently one trip, which is uh, like a residential trip for my son. It is 160 pounds. How I will pay 160 pounds? It's more than my uh, support, home mm -hmm. office support, you know. And they don't allow you to work. Then what they want from us, it's clear that it is deliberate punishment for coming and claiming asylum here in UK. They want you to disparate and go back. Okay. If I am able to go back, I will not claim asylum here from the beginning. I lived many years in my country and everything was okay. But when it, troubles became and uh, I am really threatened, I cannot stay there. You know, they don't understand that. I feel perplexed, you know, mm -hmm. anxious because you don't know. I'm waiting now for one year and a half without any communication from home office, even for an interview. After the interview, I don't know how long I will wait until I get a decision and then I get a permission to work. Fortunately, last week I get my permission to work, but unfortunately it is on a shortage occupation list, which is not, uh, my experience is not included in this shortage occupation list. Mm. And my qualification also not included. You know, it is mainly for scientists, for engineers, you know. This shortage occupation list is special for a visa called a skilled worker. It is not for asylum seeker. Most asylum seekers don't have this uh, qualification. So again and again, it is a prison and they punish you and, give you, and uh, keep you in the prison until you tell them, I want to go back to my country. Let me send a message to the British people. Please ask your government to deal with us humanely, in a human way, and respect us. As they claim that they defend the human rights, they should preserve our right, at least to deal with our claim fairly and very fast. Within six months, take the final decision. Don't keep us like this. We are really dying and uh, our experience is withering, you know. Now, if I get today a permission to work and I get a job, simply in the interview, he will tell me, oh, you have two years work experience gap. So I don't think you will be suitable for this job. I think one thing um, came out there 
you is the employability factor that you've just set out that the public does not know of. When the status you had from your country and your accolades and your achievements from work and from university and school and such, when you arrive here, you're stateless and as well you've, your status of your work ethic and who you are, that's gone as well. And that is not something it can be given. It, it's held back and it's, it seems to be locked away where you can't use that. As per se, I'm from the Southern Caribbean and we do use the UK standard of education in the Southern Caribbean. So the qualifications I have will be useful here because they're equivalent to the standards. That's fortunate for me, but not others. Uh, will have that prospects as yourself, as a listener, as a Eduardo. And the training courses for a work from someone being born here, to have the work training courses and do that, an apprenticeship, they can get processed and get paid for that. But asylum seeker does not have that right even to do an apprenticeship, right? You can do a training course, but that training course is on dealing within what's going on within the system, not what's going on economically. And I think the mental health factor shows that more because I believe this affects your wife and your kids so much in that process. It affects them hugely. It affects them hugely. You know, all, almost every day we have a conversation about our situation. You know, my kids ask me, why we stay here? Why we don't change the house? Why we don't move near to the school? You know, why we have to walk this distance from home to school? Okay, why we cannot go by bus or buy a, a car, you know. Sometimes they tell me, what you are doing, what you are uh, working. They are my friends in school asking me, you know. So you every day you face a different and insulting incident without, uh, with, the, with the people outside. Even I don't like to meet people, you know, now nowadays, because when I go anyone from my community or other community, the first question will ask you, uh, did you get a decision from home office? Yes. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, do you have any update? Do you have any good news? You know, so uh, you will be depressed more and more. You know, you will yeah. avoid such conversation because he is reminding you, you know, he is uh, moving something inside your heart. So it's very difficult to leave and to uh, to discuss uh, with other people and be a useful person and productive person if they keep you in this process, uh, this prison and this uh, way of punishment. I hope they revise their uh, revise their decision, you know, and uh, give us our, the human rights which we deserve. And we promise them that we will be productive and we will be a big support to their economic and their security. Uh, the people should move and enforce this government. Actually, I don't want to describe them. But I don't like this government. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people who do not like the current uh, government now. But I think one thing we're doing here in this podcast is educating the public on what rights the asylum seeker has and what misinformation they may have been told about us when we arrive here. We are not here stealing your jobs because we can't get any jobs per se. And when the job market is opened, when you get, you're permitted to work, it's structured in a way 
that demonizes you. It is not to your profession from what you've worked hard and studied for back in your home, in our home countries and, you know, got the qualifications for it. And if so, I have no factors in doing a British training course to learn about British economic ethics and work ethics. I wonder if that's why I'm here, to work, learn, have a free life, but be incorporated in the society. But if you keep cutting me off at my legs, letting me know that I am a foreigner and I, you don't want me here, you do it in, in subtle ways. It's a psychological breakdown of not letting me work. When I do get status, what type of work can I have? And no, you need to have this, you need to have that. There's a one to 10 list about it. I'll ask individually, all of you, what would you like the public to know about us as refugees, but also us as refugees who have status in the country, what we go through before and after the asylum process? And what would you like the, to educate the public individually, in, you know, when you guys um, give your opinions on it? What would you like the British public to know about refugees and what about their government? and what the things that they're doing and what you like to see improved along the way, especially dealing with employability and mental health. Uh, those two factors, I think, are the most important thing, the right to work and also expanding mental health care right now, currently in the asylum system. And after, when you get status, there should be some sort of peer group to deal with the pressures of how are you dealing now after a year getting your status? How is the work? How do you feel? Are you integrating in your British community? Are you getting along with your colleagues? I will start off with you, Alice. Okay, I wanted to add something about what you said that mm. I I forgot to say. Mm. So I do agree that you have to get out of the asylum system uh, before making any friends or meeting new mm. people because I was reading something yesterday that said that people ask you what do you do for a living to to measure the level of respect to give you and if you say i'm a refugee i'm an asylum seeker imagine how much respect they will have for you or how a, a conversation is going to be how serious a conversation is going to be and one message i will say uh, there's this phrase kept me going for a long time and it says that nothing is stronger than a person rebuilding themselves and this is because uh, once you touch the bottom um, the only thing you have to is to get out of it and you have to keep trying so you have to keep trying to get your status and keep trying to get that job to see your family again so it's it's really difficult but there's no other way uh, because no one is there to help you you have to help yourself I know it's been hard on you, especially with, you know, being away from your family. And thank goodness you have Eduardo, but it still is hard because you're rebuilding and you guys are starting a new life for yourselves here at such a young age. So, Eduardo, when you, let's hear your end on that. What do you like the British public to know? I would like people to know that the system is built in a way that they will keep us away from the world, the natural world. Whenever we claim asylum, they put it in prison and you can your life is stuck for a few years, some people four years, some people 10 years or more. And at the end of the day, whenever we come out of this uh, prison, the world hasn't stopped. So people need to know that the world hasn't stopped 
and we are just trying to rebuild our life and people need to understand that we deserve dignity and we deserve to be treated as equal no matter where we're coming from or what status we got in this country we deserve to be treated as equal as humans as anyone else who would like to be treated i fully agree and 100 on that and seeing you Eduardo, the human who's, oh, that's a nice guy, has a nice outlook. Yeah, I like that. I hope more people get to see that. What's your input you like to let the British public know about you and the, the UK government's treatment of asylum seekers and refugees? Yeah, I like uh, if the British people stand with us, uh, read more about our uh, our stories, our various stories from each country, you know, people are suffering. At the beginning, to enforce the British uh, government to stop wars in our country because it is one of the major forces in the world, you know. So by stopping wars in, in Middle East or other uh, areas, you know, no new refugees will come here. This is the first point, to, to prevent refugees from coming here. United States, Europe and UK, they can implement this in the region and then they will not see any refugee here. The second issue, we need our rights here. Please enforce your government to treat us humanely, to give us at least the minimum human rights. During the process, I don't have a big idea about what will happen after we get the status here. But I see people are suffering a lot to find a job. But during the process also, it is like a, a prison, like a, your life is suspended. You cannot do anything. They want you to be uh, desperate and ask them, please send me back. How we will ask them to send us back if we are threatened there? This, I don't understand it, you know. How we will ask them, send us back and we are threatened there. So there is something unlogical. Uh, I hope the British people will force this government or replace it to have a new government which deal with, uh, with the people humanely. Also, this refugee, please pay attention to that. This, all, all, this asylum seeker and refugee can assist you too much. There is a lot of uh, driver shortage and the Home Office prevent asylum seeker of covering this job. Even there is a huge shortage. Why the Home Office didn't accept to enlist the driver as uh, of a big truck and trail and lorries as uh, on the shortage occupation list and allow the asylum seeker to, to use? Because it is uh, one of the major problems. And a lot of uh, asylum seekers can drive or it is one of the easiest jobs to learn and to work in it. Thank you. I think um, most importantly, Asylum process has been politicized all over the world. It's just not here in the UK. It's everywhere. It's in Denmark, France, Belgium, the United States, the Netherlands, everywhere. As we are commodities. There, the shortage that you spoke of with the drivers, the lorry drivers. Yes, that can be very well uh, issued because most of the drivers at the time were Romanian and Polish. But because of Brexit, most of them have left and returned back to their countries uh, when they worked here with the open borders. Now the borders have been closed. Now you are seeing exactly what is happening with the British young men and public 
none of these young British men, right, especially Caucasian, right, are yeah. going, young boy, are going for these types of jobs. Who was doing these type of jobs? Foreigners. And what do you say about that, Eduardo? I just want to add that I would like people to understand and to see that next time when they go to do their shopping, look at their left and their right, they might, they might see a human. They are human. We go to the same churches. We go to the same parks. So we all deserve to be treated as human. At the end, when we get a status, first thing we do is we pay our council tax, we pay our taxes. We start contributing, building a world, building a society that will be enriched by all of our, our skills at the end of the day. Yeah, this is it. I think it, the question is for me now, when someone says, oh, well, when when someone you meet someone from a, a rural town area and you interact with them in a social area, restaurant, pub, it's very interesting to me when you explain yourself and your storyline to them. I said, well, you know, we're, we're worried a lot because there this expansion of people are coming into our town, it's changing. The town will change whether asylum seekers are there or not, the town will change. What will get better is that people, you will start to meet people, good people with families, good structure, good mindsets, big hearts, and that will grow your community in economics, in relationships, uh, in process, in getting so much coming in, than people leaving you will build, your community gets bigger and wiser. Um, what I would like the, the British public to know is that no government tells the public everything. Hence the reason I think big government has always been a big factor. They never do. The British public are not stupid uh, at all. And they, their patience is legendary for dealing with Labour and Conservatives, whichever party rules the ruse in Parliament. But I think... Much more devastating is we had a pandemic to deal with. And then we had a prime minister who has been using the pandemic and the rules because he thinks he's the big boss, right? which he is. And he's made a fool of everyone. Whilst everyone and, and their parents were suffering with COVID and dying, he was living it up, drinking champagne and having parties. And then we have a home office secretary who has no decorum on understanding human and humanitarianism of people, especially, and she's a person of colour, and she's from a migrant family as well. So for me, that's the big ironic thing of her not understanding. The policy she's making is so unhumanitarian that she cannot even see that. It's very distressing to me on where do we go from here? Where, we to go? where do we go from here? We educate the British public on us and inform them and also look at the positive of what asylum seekers do. We have lots of as refugees and asylum seekers who've gotten their status in Britain, who are gold medal winners, who are TV hosts, who are great philanthropists, who are, you know, works now where we're in our charitable organizations. We are showing the faces of what it means to be a refugee. It's not a dirty word, right? It's a strong word of empowerment and embodies you as a human person of the world. What I would like the British public to know is that that for all the, the filth, and it will be a lot of filth that we've swallowed as refugees, vomit it all up and out, regurgitate it out. Because once you get that out of your system, the hate, 
the warmongering, the insults, the belittling, you will find your footing of exactly who you are and you deserve to be here. Like anyone else born on this island, I deserve to have the right to work. I deserve to have the right to free and be myself and do not have anyone ridicule me. I deserve to also pay my taxes or just like you. I deserve to have be have respect and be not have racial slurs spoken behind my back or in front of my back. You deserve the right to walk on this earth just like everyone else. And we, we deserve the right to have that employability factor and show what we can do. We are not here to take. We are here to give and give back and be of use. That's what we're here for. So uh, I think um, most important for all of us, uh, we want to get that across to the British public. What else would you like to add to that? I want to say to British people, to tell these government, if they want to be harsh and strict, let them be harsh and strict with uh, any asylum seeker or refugee who is violating the law, who is uh, a criminal but not with the innocent and uh, good people who, who will be a very productive people in your society. Amen to that. Oh, oh, come on, sing a ring. Thank you for listening to EBE Network Podcast. For more information, you can visit refugee-action.org.uk. Till the next time. Indeed.